Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Father, we thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. And this morning, God, we thank you that you're here with us, Lord, and that worship comes alive when we, when we enter in and when we go after your presence, Lord. It becomes real to us, Jesus. There are many of us this morning, God, who are living these words right now, Lord, that are these words, as we're singing to them, they're actually speaking to our hearts, God, and ministering to us, Jesus. And I just ask, Father, that your worship would continue to come alive to the people in this house this morning, Lord, and your word would come alive, Jesus, that, that we come here prepared to understand we have a chance to meet with the living God, and we're not going to take it lightly, Jesus. We want to live it, Lord. You know, to me, when I was growing up in church, I had never had a real encounter with, with Jesus yet, and worship just felt like singing. But do you know once you've lived it and once you've experienced God's grace, when you sing about God's grace, something's different. Have you ever noticed that? I know for this song, when, uh, there was one point where I just felt the anointing hit this place when, uh, when uh, some words you could tell hit Amanda personal, personally, and, and because she's lived it. And the word says, when I felt no worth, still your love, what does it say? You paid it all for me. And when you've lived that, that means something to you. And that's why we can worship the way we do, because nobody else knows where you've been or what you've been through. So don't ever let somebody else tell you how to worship or what it should look like or what, you, what, you, what songs you should sing. That's my song, and that's my lyric, and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to raise my hand when it comes on, because I know what it was like before, and I know what God brought me through, and I'm not going back to that place by the grace of God. How can you not get excited when you've lived it? God, we worship you this morning, God, and we thank you for a living testimony. We are the living epistles, the word of God written in flesh, that we are living it. We are living, walking, breathing, little Christ, God. Let us experience your Holy Spirit. Let us experience Jesus and let him dwell in us this week, Father. And I pray that you continue to dwell with us today as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You can go ahead and grab your seat. We're just, we're just getting started here. I just want to... I want to preach to you now for just short, just a little while, just probably about four hours. So, so I hope you packed your lunch. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like clockwork. I, I didn't realize this until I checked uh, how long all the podcasts were, and they're all 30 to 35 minutes. That's how long, that's how long I preach for, apparently, every time. <laughs> Larry, you can stay after. I'll preach to you all day long, just me and Larry. Hey, I want to continue a series this morning that we've been doing called Pursuit. Anybody tired of talking about Pursuit? Yeah, no, okay. So in 2018, we've just made this our, our word for 2018, what our church is doing. We're going after Jesus like never before. We're pursuing his presence. We're pursuing uh, deeper relationships with him, and we're pursuing people in Jesus' name. We want to see people come to know Jesus and, and be in relationship with him. The title of my message this morning is, I'm Going Home. I'm going home. And I kind of want to um, preach from a couple different verses. One's in the Old Testament and one's in the New Testament. And I'm going to kind of tie it together because I don't know if you know this. The Bible has 66 books, 40 authors, but one inspiring Holy Spirit. And so there's things in the Old Testament that I read. And then God shows me something in the New Testament that speaks to the Old Testament. And I'm like, how in the world? And so he showed me something like that this week. So I want to preach the whole Bible to you. And, and I... 
and I was thinking about it this week. You know, I can preach the Bible in three words, but I'm not going to. I have a lot more words. But the three words are creation, desolation, and restoration. That's the whole Bible in three words. And, and so I want to talk about um, the desol- devastation or the desolation right here in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It's one of the two verses. This is our Old Testament verse that I want to read today. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And this is Adam that God is speaking to in the Garden of Eden. This is right after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit and they've sinned. Sin came into the world. And then Adam answered in verse 10, and he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This to me is proof that there wasn't calories until sin entered the world. Can I get an amen? Because they were naked, they were naked and unashamed, and then when sin entered the world, shame. Um, But he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now I want to read in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. This is Jesus, 24 hours about before he was about to be arrested, crucified, and all of this. He's, he's talking to his disciples, and here's what he has to say to him. Some of the last words he'll speak to his disciples, starting in verse 1 of John 14. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going, I would... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is awesome. He's like, nope, we don't know, Jesus. Hello, come on. Hashtag nope. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, that's good. We could stop right there. We'll pray. No, I'm kidding. Where are all my married people at? Can I see where married people are at? I want to see. Some of you, if you're like me, you've been married for a few years. My wife and I just celebrated in November our 15th wedding anniversary and, and still going strong. Where is she? She's not in here for me to embarrass her. But um, Something has changed and since probably many of you got engaged. Do you remember your proposal? Your proposal, if it was years ago, is probably something sweet and cute and personal, just between you and your, and your spouse and your loved one, and it was cute. Nowadays, it, it's not like that, okay? Nowadays, if you want to propose, you, you have to have a photographer, a videographer ready to go on scene, and it better be somewhere with a beautiful background, because this picture has to go on Instagram, okay? And, and if you didn't get it right, if the photographer or the videographer didn't get a good shot, hey, you know what? Bruce, I need to go back out and do it again, okay? Do it again. This time, Courtney, act a little more surprised, okay? And, and we, get, we get all this going on, and it has to be something big. And it's not, it's not like, it wasn't like that in my day. It didn't have to be that way. It was something cute and sweet. But can I tell you, the moment I got engaged, I thought I was ready to get married. Anybody else? <clears throat> I was prepared. I thought this through. I knew exactly what I was getting myself into, and I realized quickly I was very wrong. We actually... We have three young couples preparing to get married, and we've been doing uh, premarital counseling, and Josh and I have been beating them up real good and, and letting them know, you know what, what they may be in store for. Premarital counseling is so important. Do you know that? You know why premarital counseling is so important? Is because every human on earth is crazy, okay? And you just got to figure out what kind of crazy you want to wake up to every morning. And so it's so important 
that we figure out how we're crazy. But I remember as I was thinking about this message today, I was thinking about when Jen and I were were married years ago. We were newly married, and I was talking to a couple and asking them, you know, what are some principles that have helped you in your marriage? And one thing they told me that uh, at the time I scoffed at, they said, we have a schedule. We schedule time together. We have appointments during the week. We even schedule intimacy. And I thought to myself, well, let's just say this. What I thought and what I said were much different. What I said was, oh, a schedule. Interesting. Cool. Okay. But in my mind, I was thinking, what is wrong with you? You should not be counseling me. I should be counseling you. What's the problem? You got to schedule time with your wife? This is all I want to do is spend time with this girl. That's what I thought at the, at the moment. See, I had my chance. But, but can I fast forward you 15 years into marriage? I mean, two kids later, 1,282 sleepless nights later, 3,472 dirty diapers later, 6,842 temper tantrums later, I realized those people were right. There is something to a schedule because you got to realize that your offspring are there to destroy your relationship. There's a relentless attack on your relationship. And so it's smart. I'm telling you, when you're a parent, you realize the struggle is it's real. It is how many of you have ever hid from your kids so you could have a moment of peace? Anybody? You can't even go in the bathroom. But I know some of you. I know a trick. I'm going to tell you a trick. I know a couple in here who's done this because I was there. But you have a babysitter, and so you sneak. You act like you're leaving, but you sneak into the bedroom. You ever done that? You don't do anything. You just lay on the bed. You just lay there, and you're like peace and quiet just to lay there. And you know what you do? You, you get the chance to watch TV and it's just, that's all you want to do is just lay there and watch TV. Sounds boring, but hey, when all you've been watching is Frozen and Moana, I got girls, so give me a break. All I want to do is not watch Trolls. I want to watch what I want to watch on the TV. Just to get a moment of peace and quiet, a schedule that I scoffed at, now I started to understand the value of it. But at the, in the beginning, I didn't. In this text, we see Jesus with 11 of his disciples because the 12th Judas had already gone to betray Jesus at this time. So he wasn't here listening to this last discourse from Jesus. But the 11 were standing there, and they had heard through all of Jesus' his ministry, he continued to tell them, I came to seek and save the lost. And he said, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to be crucified. He told them numerous times, but can I tell you that I think every time they heard him say that, they scoffed at it like me scoffing at a schedule in a marriage. Like, whatever, Jesus, that's not going to happen. You ever thought something was ridiculous at one season in your life, but now it's a present reality? Have you ever been the person that thought, that will never happen to me, and next thing you know, you go to the doctor's office. Next thing you know, you're in that terrible relationship. Next thing you know, you're having those money issues. Next thing you know, you don't know where to turn. And that season that you scoffed at at one time, you're now living in it. It seemed like a bad dream, but it's become a reality. Well, I need, I need you to hear this morning the words of Jesus when he said, do not be troubled, do not let your heart be dismayed. He said, if you trust God, trust also in me. That should speak peace to every situation we have to go through. Because he didn't say, he didn't say you're not going to have any trouble. In fact, he says later, he's in a different point in scripture, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He didn't say you weren't going to have trouble. The problem doesn't come from us having trouble. The problem comes from when we let the trouble get into us. See, I can be in trouble and not have trouble be in me. 
But when I allow it inside of me, something changes. That's, that's why, like I said, that's why I worship the way I do, because I'm not going to let the trouble around me this week get in me. So I'm going to come in here with an expectancy that God is going to move, and I'm going to worship him, believing, God, I need you to fill me up, because this trouble wants to get inside of me. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. And you know what? This isn't a suggestion. This is actually, anything Jesus said is actually a commandment from Jesus. Jesus' word for somebody here this morning who's going through anxiety and worry and struggle in that way, he's saying, stop it. That's Jesus' word for you this morning. Stop it. Do not let your heart be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me. But some of you are saying, Jesus, you don't understand. I'm, I'm going to lose my job. Jesus, my marriage is falling apart. Jesus, I don't know what's going to happen in this next season. The cancer is spreading. Jesus, they lied to my face. Jesus, that's impossible not to let my heart be troubled. And I think Jesus would say, on your own, that's true. It is. The trouble around you will get in you unless you understand something. And what you need to understand is that this world has trouble, but you were made for another world. You were made for another place, that this is not your home. There's something that, str- that takes stress off of me, realizing this isn't my home. I'm not going to be comfortable here. I, I remember when I was living with my parents, there was rules that I didn't understand, and, and things, silly things like take off your shoes when you come in the house. And I scoffed at these rules. That's silly. I didn't stress about the carpet. Why would I worry about that? But do you know when I got my own house, all of a sudden, people will come in and be like, dude, take off your shoes. Show some respect for my carpet. You know why? Because when I lived with my parents, that wasn't my home. And so I had less stress. And then when I got my own place, all of a sudden I said, this is my home. I got, I got to keep this nice. I got to take care of things. But if you understand that same way that, that this is not your home, that you're a citizen of another kingdom, that your God has prepared a place for you in another place and it's in another home, then you don't have to worry. That's a cure for a troubled heart this morning. That's why I don't have to stress about the stock market. I actually, this is not my home. I don't have to have a panic attack when, attack when I watch the news because this is not my home. God's preparing a place for me. You know what I think of the earth like? I think of the earth like a hotel. Do you ever go to a hotel and before you go into your room and check in, you, you go to the manager and say, hey, just to make sure you paid the light bill this month, right? Because I don't want to like get in bed and then the lights go out and I, the air could, I, I just want to make sure you paid. Or do you ever stress and say, hey, uh, before I call room service, you have enough food, right? Like I don't have, to, we don't stress about that. Why? Because that's not my home. That's not my, I don't have to take care of that. I don't have to worry about those things because it's not my home. That doesn't mean that I live recklessly in a hotel. In fact, I believe that we represent Christ anywhere we are, and right now we're in the earth representing Christ. And so I set an example, and I believe that Christ will work through me as I live that way in the middle of a hotel. But I've stayed in some ghetto hotels. Anybody else? I've stayed in some ghetto hotels where the cockroaches looked at me like, really? You're going you're gonna to stay here? All right. And, but you know what? I endured it. Why? You know how I was able to endure it? I realized I'm just going to be here for a night. And I've also stayed at some really nice hotels. You know, the one with the view and the one with the great service and and the one where you want to steal the soaps and the shampoos because they're nicer than your shampoo at home. Let's do an altar call for you thieves. No, I'm just kidding. They want you to take that stuff. But do you know, after I've stayed in that nice, nice hotel for a few days, something inside of me says, this is nice, but I just want to go home. This is not home. Do you know every one of us have a desire in us to have a place to call home? 
We all want to have a place. Even homeless people have a place. They'll fight over a portion of dirt because they want a place that they can return to to call home. You know when you come into church on Sunday and you sit in the same seat every Sunday or you park in the same spot every time you go to work or you go to church and you're mad when someone else is in your spot, anybody else? This is not that kind of church, I hope. But, but that's what I'm talking about. We have a place. We have a place. Jesus is saying in this scripture, he's saying, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. He called it the Father's house. And this is interesting because what is he talking about? What's the Father's house, Jesus? It's heaven. And then and the scripture calls heaven many different things. It, it calls it a country because that refers to its vastness. It calls it a city because that refers to the fact that it has inhabitants. It calls it a kingdom because that refers to God's rulership in that place. It calls it a paradise because that refers to its beauty and its wonder. But Jesus in this place calls it a father's house because it's all about family. Jesus is saying, I have a family, and I'm going to prepare a place for them. The body of Christ is about being a family. And I know you didn't get to pick your family. Can I get an amen in from anybody in this place? You didn't get to pick your family. And in this moment, I think the disciples thought the Jews were the only family that God was going to take with him. But Jesus is, is not like that. And he was saying, I actually have a bigger family. I have a big family, and they're all going to be there, um, the, anyone that accepts me or anyone that knows my name. Um, but, you know, some, in some ways I think that we can learn from this because when you get to heaven, I think you, you need to know that not everybody's going to look like you or speak the same language that you spoke. And so, so you don't have culture shock. Just let me give you a little advice. You could hang out and get to know some people who don't talk like you or look like you right now. So when you get there, it'll just be normal because that's how you've always been living on earth. But Jesus has a big family. And then, he, and then he goes on, he says, in my father's house, there's many rooms, but there's only one door. You know that? And so I need you to know that if you're here and you're a liar, there's room for you. If you're a cheater, there's room for you. If you're stuck in addiction, there's room for you. If you're stuck in sexual sin, there is room for you in the father's house. Jesus is saying, if you come through me, I'm the one door and I'll get you in. I'll prepare a place for you. I'll prepare a room for you. Jesus says, you know the way to get there. And, and I love this because Thomas raises his hand and says, uh, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. You're going to have to spell it out for us. We don't know. And because Thomas answered with a question, he got an I am statement from Jesus. If you don't know what that is, Jesus made several I am statements in the New Testament, which again refers to the Old Testament when Moses asked God, who should I say sent me? And, the, and God the, in the burning bush said to Moses, tell them I am sent you. And so in the New Testament, every time Jesus said something like, before Abraham was, I am, the Jews would pick up stones to stone him because he was declaring himself to be God. So that just disqualifies anything besides either Jesus is crazy or Jesus is God. Right? Can we just, put, can we just say that? Jesus is not a prophet. He's not a good man. He said, I am. That means I am God. And so either he's crazy and a lunatic or he actually is God and we have to believe him at that. He's not a good man. He's nothing like that. Jesus declared himself to be God. The Jews knew it, so they picked up stones to stow him, stone him. And every time Jesus makes an I am statement, he's declaring the, this is, that I'm God and this is what I have to say. And, and Thomas asked this question, Lord, we don't know where to go. Where are, we, where are we going? Where are you going so that we can go with you? And Jesus answered, and we never would have got this statement if, if Thomas never asked the question, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's, 
That's awesome. That's one of my favorite verses, and, and it's, it's powerful. But I, I always wonder, why does Jesus give a three-part response to one question? Why in this moment does Jesus find the, the, a need to say, I'm the way, I'm also the truth, and I'm also the life? And I noticed in this moment they were discussing home. We're going, I have a father's house. I'm preparing a place for you. They were, they were discussing home, and I started to think, when did we lose home? Like, when did things change where we no longer had a, a home? And you remember in Genesis, when sin entered the world and God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden and they no longer had a home? We've been wanderers ever since. That's how we lost our place. Sin came into the world and we were evicted from that place. Since that day, we've been wanderers without a home. And so, remember how God confronted Adam and Eve after they sinned? I want to tell you, there's three questions that he asked Adam in this moment after they sinned, and I want to look at those. But this is God basically saying to Adam, come sit on the couch. It's time for some post-marital counseling. Do you know why post-marital counseling is important? Because every human being on the earth is crazy, and you just got to figure out which kind of crazy you want to wake up to every day. That's why post-marital counseling is important. But Jesus said, come sit on the couch, and, and the Bible calls God a wonderful counselor. He asked Thomas three questions. I mean, he asked Adam three questions before he evicted him from home. And these questions are crucial to pursuing the place God has for you, okay? So I want to talk about these three questions. The first question was, where are you? Where are you? Do you know when God asks you a question, the question and the answer is he already knows the answer. The question is actually to show you something. It's like when you walk into a room and your kids are getting into trouble and you say, what are you doing? You know exactly what they're doing already, right? Or, or it has nothing to do with location when Jesus asked Adam that. Like when my wife looks me in the face and says, where are you? She's not talking about my physical location, okay? She's talking about something deeper. And God is actually asking question, a question to Adam, not about his physical location, but about his spirit. And you have to ask yourself this question before you leave earth, because this question has to do with the fact that we as humanity are lost. Where are you? We're lost. And it's not about a physical location. It's about, it's about our spirit. And some of you in church, we, we have a, things that we say just because it's church and it sounds good. And we always say this thing, and maybe some of you said it here, and I've probably said it before too, but we say, I remember when I found Jesus. And then we, you know, it just makes you want to sing, doesn't it? I found Jesus. But can I tell you this morning, that's actually not correct. You never found Jesus. He actually found you because he was never lost. You were the one who was lost. And he found you. He's a great initiator. He came after you looking for you. He came to the cross to find you because you were lost. You can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. I always say you're a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You're hashtag jacked up, okay? You can't save yourself. You need Jesus to come after you to show you the way. I need to explain to you as part of, part of something that I deal with on, on a normal basis with my family. Every time we go to the movies as a family, I want to tell you something that happens. We go in and and we stand in line to get treats, you know, and popcorn and whatever and spend a month's paycheck. And, and we stand there and I, and, I, and I get stuff for my kids. And a lot of times I'll ask Jen, Jen, do you want something? No, I'm, I'm not hungry. I don't want anything. And, and so I'll go in and I'll start, you know, sit down and watch the previews. I love the previews. But all of a sudden, at some point, my wife will look over at me and say, I kind of want some popcorn. Could you give me some popcorn? 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? But as being a loving husband that I am, I get up and I go to the snack bar and I wait in line a second time because I love my wife. And then I walk into the movies 10 minutes late. I'm telling you, I don't remember seeing the beginning of a movie in years. I don't see it. But when you walk in that theater, when the movie's already started, it is pitch black. And it's usually like um, we're watching the darkest movie of all time. Have you ever been there? Watching some space movie and the whole thing is just dark in space. And, And I stand there trying to figure out where my family is seated. Have you been that weirdo before? I'm like making bird sounds. I'm, I'm calling her phone, and I'm standing next to some guy, and he just thinks I'm a creep, and I'm like, I'm looking for my family. <laughs> and I cannot figure out where in the world they are sitting. I need my wife to break the rules, turn on her phone, and hold it up and wave me down like an air traffic controller. I need my wife to show me the way because I'm lost. Anybody else here directionally challenged? Are you directionally challenged? How many of you use your phone to find directions anywhere you go? You're going to work. You go there every day, but you're like, got to put it in the phone. I don't know how to get there. What about anybody here still use a paper map? Is there anybody who does that? Okay, no judgment, no judgment. (laughs) But I want to tell you about this app called Waze. Have you heard of this app called Waze? Waze is amazing. Waze will take you through someone's living room if it'll get you there faster. I'm telling you, Waze is omnipresent. Waze will tell you that there is a police officer ahead. Waze will tell you on five miles ahead on the freeway, there is a car pulled over to the right, and you're like, whatever, Waze. And you're like, oh my gosh, Waze knew it. Waze is amazing. But can I tell you that Whatever, whatever you realize from Waze, it'll even tell you if your breath stinks. Let me just get that straight. I'm telling you, Waze will tell you everything. But the, the thing that Jesus is trying to get across to us in this story is that he's saying, I'm the only app that can get you home. I'm the air traffic controller that can wave you down and say, follow me and I will take you home. I will light the path. I am the one who's going to get you home. Jesus, he, he says this to to Adam, he, he asked this question, and Adam's response, Jesus, or God says, where are you? And Adam's response to the question is, I heard your voice, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. When he answered God in this way, he got two more questions. The next question was, who told you that? Who told you that? And I think this, this question, it actually speaks to mankind as well. This is a loaded question. Basically, God is saying, Adam, you've always been naked. Who told you that there was something wrong with the way I created you? Who told you that? And up to this point, Adam had no issue. But the question revealed that when the fall happened, shame entered the world. And it is still assaulting believers today. Shame is a real thing. It's a huge roadblock that stands in between us and our ability to get home. So many people, even here today, probably believe that God will never accept them or love them because of things they've done. Who told you that? Who told you that? For the first time in history, man was self-conscious rather than God-conscious in this moment when, when God asked this question to reveal this to Adam. I know... For me, when I have kids, my youngest is five, but when she was a little younger, she had no shame. <laughs> and she would, I mean, she'd be in the bath, we'd have company over, she would run downstairs naked and shake her booty in front of people on purpose. 
She had no shame. But can I tell you, as she gets older, and when she's about 11 years old, I will not ever have to tell her again not to do that. Because something happens to humanity. We become self-conscious at some point. Nobody has to teach you that. It's a result of what happened in the garden. We became self-conscious. Our innocence was lost. And since then, all of humanity has been hiding. You've been hiding behind your job. You've been hiding behind Instagram or Facebook posts. You've been hiding behind some version of yourself that you present to people, but it's not the real you. We're hiding. We're hiding. Don't... We don't want people to see the real us. God was telling Adam, who told you that you were naked because he was showing Adam, you've accepted a lie as truth. Can I tell you the only worse thing than hearing and believing a lie is actually accepting it as truth? All of us have wrestled with a who told you. Every one of us here has a who told you. Who told you that you were ugly? Who told you that you would never be anything? Who told you that you were dumb? Who told you that you would never amount to anything worth loving? Who told you that? Who told you that you have to act that way or dress that way to be accepted? At some point in your life, you've accepted a lie as truth. There's a lie that has crept its way into our hearts. I have an illustration just to show this this morning. I have lots of props this morning. Let me give me a second. Playing with water again. If I ruin my iPad, pray for me. But can I tell you that we've all accepted lies into our heart, and and we have a heart that looks like this. These ping pong balls represent lies in our heart. How do I get those out of there? Can I tell you when, when we accept the living water and he begins to pour into us, we could come into church and we get a little living water in it and we think, oh, that feels good. That's good. Can I, can I tell you all those lies are still resting in our heart? They have not come out and we can play church all we want, but everybody can see the lies in here, right? Everybody can still see what's going on. Only when I continue to allow God to pour into me and allow his Holy Spirit to get in me, I start reading his word and he starts cleansing my heart and separating truth from lies. All of a sudden there becomes less space for lies in my heart and all of a sudden it becomes harder for them to even stay in there. But can I tell you, I'm about to make a mess, okay? Let's just do this, go for it. If I continue to allow God to pour into me all the way until I'm full and I just say, Holy Spirit, come in and have your way. I'm done with all the lies. Sooner or later, there is no more space for lies in my life, and, and sooner or later they're gone, but at some point in your life, at some point in your relationship with God, a lie is going to want to come back in that you used to believe. Someone's going to put something on you that's going to remind you of what your parents told you. You'd never be anything when you're a kid, but can I tell you, those lies cannot stay in any longer if you're full of God and you're full of his presence and everything that he wants for you. That there is no room for those lies. That you can say, you know what? I'm not what they said about me. I'm full of God. And he showed me I'm loved. I'm worthy of love. And he cares about me. And all of a sudden, all those lies that have made their way down into my heart that I've been believing, all of a sudden, they have no hold on my life anymore. God, would you fill us up to the brim so that nothing else can make its way into my heart to lie and separate me from your truth that you have for my life. So God asked Adam, where are you? It showed him that he was lost, and then he said, who told you that? And it revealed that he believed a lie. And then the last thing that God asked Adam is, did you eat of that tree? Did you eat of that tree? Remember how 
God set two trees in the garden, and he said one of them is the tree of life, and one of them is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you remember this story? And he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat from it, you'll die. And Adam and Eve, they, they survived for who knows how long without eating that tree. We don't get those details, but they ate it. And at one point, they, when they ate it, they became in rebellion to God's command. God told them not to do it, and they did it anyways. Have you ever thought about every problem in life is resulting from that one act of eating from that tree? It's crazy to think about every pain, every atrocity, every war came from this one tree. This action messed up the world. That's it, just that. Messed up the world, right? Just eating from a tree and messed up all of humanity, and that's why you're jealous. That's why you hate people. That's why people are murdered on a daily basis is because sin has entered the world, because we, we as humans, are in rebellion to God. But can I tell you, if you think grabbing a fruit and eating it is actually the issue and what messed up the world, you're missing the forest for the trees. That it wasn't actually the action that did it because every physical action and sin that you have actually has an attitude in your heart behind it. So before you ever acted, there was a lie that made its way into your heart that caused you to think that, what did it, well, what did it cause you to think? It caused a lie to be in their heart that told them that you can't trust God. That he's withholding something from you. That actually, Adam... If you eat from this, you'll know good and evil. You'll know what's best for your life. And, and you, you won't surely die. And this lie entered into their heart, and then they sinned. See, it was all about the lie. We, and Adam and Eve believed this. They doubted God's goodness. And when you doubt God's good, you can't worship him. You can't love him. You can't serve him because you're doubting that he's good. You grab from that tree, and you say, I'll do it my way. I know better. But can I tell you, every time you say Give me liberty or give me death, like Adam said. You actually get liberty and death. Every time you act of your own accord and you think you know better than God, you're actually getting liberty, but you're also getting death. Can I get the worship team to come back up? That tree that appeared to Adam and Eve to bring liberty, that now you're going to know. You're going to have the freedom to know good from evil and all these things. It's going to give you more freedom. It actually brought death. What they expected to bring liberty brought death. And so God, he asked Adam these three questions. Where are you? Which, which revealed that humanity is lost. Who told you that? Which revealed that we're believing a lie. And did you eat of that tree? Which revealed that we think we know the way to life and we know better than God. And he asked these three questions because I think God wanted to illustrate that since that moment, all of humanity has been confused. And we've been asking ourselves, how do I get back to God? How do I get back to God? And what I found interesting about this story is we see G Thomas asking Jesus in this moment, Jesus, we don't know how to get to God. We don't know the way. And Jesus gives him a three-part answer. You know what he says? Thomas you're confused and you're asking, where are you? And God's asking, where are you? We show you you're lost. And Jesus says, I'm the way. God, we don't know. We don't know. And, and God asks the question in Genesis, who told you that? Who, who lodged that lie in your heart that you've been accepting as truth? Because for every lie that you believe, Jesus said, I'm the truth. 
And, and then he goes on and he said, did you eat of that tree? Did you think you were going to find life, but you actually found death because you rebelled against my command? You thought you knew better than me. But Thomas, you need to understand, there was never life out there outside of me because I'm the life. I love this because, you know what? God asked three questions in Genesis and answered them in John 14. Jesus is saying every question that humanity ever had, I'm the answer to. Any, anything that you've ever asked God, every, every question that you've had about humanity, about life, Jesus is your answer. And he's saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know where you're at, but maybe you're like Thomas, and you're saying, Jesus, we don't know the way. And Jesus is saying, follow me, because I'm the way. I can get you home. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've been dealing with a lie, and you've been believing a lie in your heart. And I believe this morning, Jesus is saying to you, I am the truth. If you listen to me and listen to my word and, and fill yourself up with my thoughts and my beliefs about you, there'll be no room for that lie because I am the truth. Or maybe like Thomas, you're saying, Jesus, I, I don't know the way. And Jesus is saying, I'm right here in front of you and you brought life into your own hands and it brought you death, but you don't need to worry because I am the life. I don't know where your decisions have led you. Maybe you feel this morning like your life is worth giving up on. You feel the death of your decisions and, the, and what you, the decisions you've made have led you to a place where you want to give up. I want you to know this morning, Jesus is the life and he's a restorer of everything that was destroyed in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. Jesus came to restore it. He's the answer to every question this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? I want to pray for some of you this morning before we before we leave here, I just want to ask you, if you're in this place, and as we're speaking, and, and as, as I was talking about the way, I just feel like some of you, that you're here this morning, you thought it was for no reason, but God has actually brought you here to hear this message because he wants you to get home. If you're here this morning, and you're saying, Jesus, I'm lost, would you just raise up your hand where I can see it? Nobody looking around. We're not going to embarrass anybody. I just want to see these hands and just say, Jesus, I'm ready to come home. Father, you see every hand, Lord, and you know every heart, God, that, that I believe in this place that you were calling to raise their hand, but they didn't, God. You're speaking to their heart right now, Lord, and I believe that Jesus, they're, gonna, they're saying this morning, I want to follow you. Would you say that in your heart with me if you're lost this morning? Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want you to sit on the throne of my heart, Lord, and be my Savior and be my Lord. Jesus, I believe you're the way that can get me home. I want to also pray for people this morning that you've been believing a lie, a word spoken over you, something that's not true. It does not line up with the word of God, but you've just been continually thinking it. You've been speaking it out and believing something that God has not said about you or about your life. I want to see you raise up your hand right where you're sitting. Nobody looking around. I just want, I want to ask God to come in and fill that with his truth and, and actually restore what the enemy's trying to steal from you. Anybody else, I see these hands. Anybody else with a lie that you're saying, Jesus, I need you to come fill that place this morning. Push out every lie in my heart. Jesus, right now, you see every hand that was raised. And I'm asking you right now, Father, the truth of your word and the truth that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us, that love that we feel in this place, God, is rebuking every lie that tells us that we will never be loved, that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy, that, that there's nothing special about us, God. We rebuke those lies right now, and we say, fill us this place up with your Holy Spirit and your presence, God, so the lie has nowhere to dwell in Jesus' name. And I also want to pray for one more group of people, if you're here this morning and you've been trying to do life your own way, 
Or maybe you've been, you come to church and you do these things, but there's a lukewarmness to your faith where, where on Sunday you say things like, he made a way, but on, on other days, on the weekends, you're out doing your own thing and partying and doing things that God has called you not to do. I want to ask you right now, if you've been trying it your own way this morning, Jesus is saying, I'm the life, and you want to receive life and life abundantly like he promised it, will you raise up your hand right where you're sitting? Raise up your hand right where you're sitting. Nobody looking around. Father, right now, Jesus, we're just believing that you are the life, that every other way that we've tried has resulted in death, but you sent your son to restore everything that was lost through sin. And we're asking right now, Jesus, that you would fill up every heart in this place that's been living with a lukewarm faith, God, that they're not going to leave this place feeling lukewarm, but you're filling them up right now in Jesus' name. We all stand up to your feet with me. I know every one of us, as we prepare to leave, I want to pray for some of you. If you raised your hand for any reason, I want to invite you up. You don't have to, but I would say that there's something to stepping out of your comfort zone and coming and having prayer from some, for someone when, when you're speaking to God. I believe that God honors that, and you're taking a step out in faith and saying, God, this is me honoring the prayer I just prayed. If that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you up. But I believe before we leave, that I want to share with you that God has put people in your life that do not understand that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and the life, and they have not received that life from God. And my prayer for you this week is God's really put it on my heart this week to make us noticers. Can we be noticers to people around us in your workplace and everywhere you go, every store you walk into to have our eyes open and say, God, I'm looking for some people that need you and I'm looking for a chance to be used by you. Father, would you make us noticers because there's a community and a city and a world around us that desperately needs Jesus. And we just ask right now, Lord, that you show us a way to reveal that you are the way, the truth, and the life. There's too much death going on around us, too much despair, too much hopelessness. We need Jesus to fall in this world. It's the only cure for what this world aches. It's the only prescription that's going to heal this world. We believe it, and we, we confess it this morning in Jesus' name. God, would you come? Would you bring revival to our lives and to our city in Jesus' name? Will you worship with me? If you're here this morning, and you, wanna, and you raised your hand, you want to come up and receive prayer, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up right now, and we're just going to pray with you and believe that God is going to open a new chapter in your life, that you're going to receive him, and you're going to walk in a way that that you've never walked in holiness and in joy like you never have. I want to ask Cass to go out. You want to go out? I'm going to baptize you. Cool. I'm going to baptize Cass Dendy. So she's going to go out with Courtney. If somebody else wants to get baptized today, feel welcome to head out to the foyer. We're going to do a baptism before we leave. Here comes Cass. Awesome. Cass Dindy is Bobby D's daughter. Here she comes. All right. So Cass is, uh, she's believing today. Bobby's telling me she's believing for some healing today. Can we pray with her before she's baptized and just believe that? Okay, Jesus, we just ask right now, Lord, 
for every need in Cass's life. God, we just believe that you are the answer, Lord. And we're asking right now, Jesus, believing that you're a miracle-working God. And in this moment, God, as we pray, we believe that as I lay my hands on her and pray for her, and she's just making a public declaration of her faith today in baptism. I believe that when she goes under, it represents her old life. And when she comes up, she's made new in Jesus' name. And we just believe this morning that all things are going to be made new. And there's going to be healing in her life in Jesus' name. Amen. You ready? Cass is awesome. She's special. She has a, she painted me a painting and it's hanging in my office, right? She's an artist and, and she loves to worship and she's an amazing, talented girl. And, and so we love you, Cass. You ready? Yeah. All right, Cass, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, you Yes. Okay. And based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you all. Hey, the worship team is going to play for a couple more minutes if you want to stay in worship. Thanks for staying and watching Cass's uh, big day. If you're a visitor with us, please fill out a connection card in the seat in front of you and drop it off at the Welcome Center. At the, that's the desk on your way out. God bless you. Have an awesome week.